Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows at the changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Oh, yeah. The sound of those BMC beats means it's that time again, my friends. What time? Well, Unix time, 152-476-2000, of course. Confused by that? Just put that in your date class and instantiate it. But make sure you multiply it by 1,000 first because JavaScript reasons. Hi, I'm Jared Santo. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. If you're listening in real time at changelog.com slash live, but you're not chilling in the JS Party chat room in Community Slack, what are you waiting for? Go to changelog.com slash community, sign up for free, party with us, live as we record and participate the more the merrier we would love to see you in there what is up kenna downey thanks for making it we have a lot of people hanging out in the slack and we're super excited today to have a special guest with us adam baldwin aka evil packet head of security at npm adam thanks for joining us thanks for having me this is super exciting chris hiller is also here chris you go by bone skull on the World Wide webs I don't know why. Yeah. Give us a quick and dirty history on that handle. Oh, boy. Um, so do, have you heard of a, a web comic? Um, it, it's an older one, White Ninja. I have not. Anyway, it's probably obscure. But there's a web comic called White Ninja, and people liked it. And there was White Ninja fan comics, and people would draw their own White Ninja comics and send them in. Uh, and so they would they would publish these, and uh, uh, one of those had a a a evil villain named Bone Skull, um, and I really thought that was a brilliant name for for an evil villain, and so I adopted it. <laughs> so you're our evil villain then. I suppose, yeah, sure. Very good. Well, you need all kinds of roles around here, and Bone Skull, the evil villain, is an excellent role. Rounding out our panel this week is the incomparable Suze Hinton. Suze, how are you doing, friend? I'm doing very well today. Thank you. So we're here today to talk about Node, and we're here to talk about security. But we can't claim that this episode was our idea, because it was the brainchild of a longtime listener, Jen Turner. And I know that she's a longtime listener, because she asked for this a long, a long time ago. Uh, this was requested by Jen in our ping repo over a year ago. And to tell everybody about ping, that's a GitHub repo, github.com slash the changelog slash ping, where you can request show ideas, tell us feedback. It's an open inbox. 
there's a JS party label. So if you have ideas for future JS parties, hop over to that. There's a link in the show notes and submit and maybe wait a year or faster. But this one took a year. Uh, sorry about that, Jen. Your patience has paid off. And thanks for being an awesome part of our community. I'll just go ahead and read what Jen said verbatim and we'll kick into the conversation. So she said she was catching up with Evil Packet. That's you, Adam the creator of the Node Security Project and later Node Security Platform. And I think it would be cool to hear him talk about the security goings-on. So, Adam, uh, tell us about the security goings-on. Wow, that's a that's a very open-ended question, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Uh, we could probably talk for days on this subject. Uh, let's see. So you've probably seen in the news that... Uh, uh, we recently, my team, Lyft Security, recently joined NPM. That's probably the the, the biggest news that I have. Um, that we we joined NPM uh, as part of their sort of uh, uh, security push, right? So we're now their internal security team as well as uh, working on security product at NPM. So that's the that's the starting point. Uh, and when did that happen? Was that I mean, this is all very recent, right? A couple of weeks ago, we've been working with with NPM for since the since the company started and. Fun story. My my first contribution ever to open source was a pull request to the to the registry to uh, to fix a security bug. Really? So yeah, but uh, yeah, we've been working with NPM for quite a while, and and uh, so but it's just been a recent uh, a recent announcement. So what was that bug, and, and what did it, what'd you fix? Uh, it was a cross site scripting uh, bug. Just uh, I, if it was something with rendering, either rendering readmes or you know some uh, some portion of the package contents, if I remember correctly. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like cross-site scripting plus SQL injection is like 99%. I mean, okay, buffer overflows, of course, but that's like pretty much most of the vulnerabilities on the web are are those things. Is that is that fair to say? I don't know. We, I mean, we. So I spent the last ten years doing doing application audits, right, with my team and and. Uh, we saw just about everything you could possibly think of, right? Um, I don't really think that uh, one class wins because we we've had we have assessments where you know we don't find cross-site scripting or we don't find SQL injection. Um, you know, we'll find some other some other bugs, right? Some exposed keys or who knows what, right? So the it really uh, it's really interesting, kind of go, having to go now to being a defender right so for the last 10 years we've been we've been offense right we've been working with companies to, to test their applications and now we're we're focused solely on uh on npm and the ecosystem and and uh and so now we're going to defense and defenders have to worry about <laughs> worry about everything right if you, you pick one category one category is your great starting point but um you're you really have to worry about sort of all, all the various things so i had a question for you adam about Node.js in particular, given that you've worked with security for the last 10 years, you've sort of seen security before Node.js. Is there anything unique to Node itself with regards to vulnerabilities that you might not see in other ecosystems? Because a lot of the information that I've read online has really been just referencing some of the OWASP top 10 best practices anyway. Yeah, there, I don't think there's really anything too unique to node, right? Like uh, people have implemented, developers have implemented all the various, you know, similar types of libraries and and things as, as other languages. Um, the OWASP top ten 
doesn't do a good job of giving examples for us, for JavaScript, for, for Node. You see a lot of PHP and Java examples, uh, and I think that's reminiscent of back when that project sort of like got its start. And so all of the same problems exist, uh, and, and we do have some sort of unique things just because dealing with the asynchronous nature of, of JavaScript, I think, you know, the race conditions and, and those kind of things are more prevalent. Um, so you can get, you can get weird, interesting security sort of behavior because of that. Probably one of the unique things, but, uh, um, you know, the other, the other thing too, uh, with JS, I guess, if you think not node specifically, but would say, uh, NPM right? Is that we're dealing with, we have, we have this giant ecosystem of, of packages that we can sort of tap into to rapidly build our applications. Um, with, you know, that, that, I don't know if that, that's not necessarily unique, right? We have that for other, the other, other industries as well. Um, so, but that's definitely a, a, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're the largest registry. So, um, you know, we, we make use of that within Node. But. Totally. A really good point that Kevin, one of our other JS Party hosts, um, just came up uh, in the chat was that the one thing that's kind of unique or weird about Node.js or in installing packages with NPM is that a lot of those packages are used both on the client and the server, which introduces uh, right. sort of some different things. Yeah, because the security models uh, in the browser as well as on the server are way different, right? Um, so one piece of code might not be adequate uh, in both places. So that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Another aspect of this that's perhaps makes security overwhelming to many of us is that it's not just our practices that matter. It's really, well, you just say the community's practices because our dependencies practices matter and our transitive dependencies and their dependencies and so on and so forth, they matter so much. I found this interesting quote uh, in the NPM 6 announcement, which there's been some security stuff that you've done with NPM 6. Node 10 just came out. We can talk about like what's new and fresh there. But this was just an interesting uh, statement out of the NPM 6 announcement that says, 77% of developers expressed concern with whether the open source code they use is secure. But more interestingly, 87% expressed concern about the safety of their own code. Put another way, more developers trust the security of the open source code they use than they trust themselves. I I'm curious what Susan Chris think. Do, do you do you agree with that? I think I, I felt well. I don't know. I mean, uh, certainly for 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 myself, I don't feel I'm a I'm a expert at at security. Um, you know, just as a as a software engineer, it you know historically wasn't something in my career that I focused on. Um, so uh, from that end, I, I feel like, well, you know, I don't know really what I'm doing. And so there's maybe, you know, hopefully other people do. But then again, I don't think they do either. I don't think a lot of people <laughs> do. We're just making it up as I we go. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. And I tend to be more knowledgeable around the IoT security side of things. So I won't say that I know a ton about web security. And to be honest, I really do rely on people that work in that field and that are passionate enough to be able to share things that make it easy for me to learn at least the, the really important things to know. 
kind of goes to the two extremes of the programmer mindset, which I think we all, I think Chris demonstrated there. And I know I've definitely had both of these thoughts. Yeah, on one side, you have not invented here syndrome, which is tends to trust your own stuff better than other people's, right? And of course, that's a generic thing, but that applies to security practices as well. And then on the other hand, you have, I don't know, there's not as much of a nice term for it. Maybe there is, but it's kind of like the dependency hell side where you always reach for somebody else's code over your own. And so that that tells me that you don't have trust in your own software. You're just gluing bits together. And so it seems like we kind of waffle on on who we trust, us or others. And like you said, Adam, maybe we are just mostly all making it up as we go. I mean, I, I feel like I, I do trust open source software a bit more um, just because there are eyes on it, uh, especially if it's a, a mature, popular package. Um, you know, so th those issues are going to get addressed uh, eventually, maybe, you know, if if there are enough eyes on it again. I mean, right. it, it could be it could be open SSL, you know, so exactly. But, you know, I think as a as a general rule, I would I would trust uh, you know, two two similar projects. One's open source, one's proprietary. I would probably trust the open source one. Um, and you can look at uh, systems holistically as well. I mean, I would turn to Node.js, for instance, and I would say there are there are definitely a lot of interested parties. NPM, of course, one of them, and Adam, you specifically, a, a contributor, who are like highly invested on the security of this thing. And so I mm -hmm. would tend to trust it versus a similar project that wasn't so standardized or just broadly used, right? Like you said, the, the, the problem we got into, Chris, with OpenSSL is it was the worst of both worlds, right? It was like completely ubiquitous and also almost utterly unsupported. And so it really took everybody by surprise. Yeah, I mean, that's that's another can of worms, like why that happens, but um, yeah. Yeah, and, we, and there's no there's no hundred percent guarantees, right? And on either side, right? We're gonna we're gonna find interesting ways to abuse software in the future, and 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 so we can't really you know be be perfect forever, right? Some something's gonna come along, it's gonna abuse our code, whether it's code we wrote or code somebody else wrote. Um, and I don't think it's wrong to reach for somebody else's package, um, you know, and 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 you and reuse that code, right? Um, but but there's there's not a lot of guarantee that 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 people are looking at the code just because it's open source. And I think that's something that, that I'd like to change, um, you know, and incentivize, incentivize eyeballs on, on those 600 and what, 75,000 packages. Yeah. How much static analysis can you do of code that's already out there versus what things can't be picked up in an automated sense and genuinely need humans to look at it? It's really hard. So we we did some of that early on. That was the goal of the Node Security Project. Really early on was to surface sort of like hotspots. Um, you know, the, like if you just look for childprocess.exec, for example. Uh, you know, if you back when we started the project, there was what twelve thousand modules in the registry. Uh, you know, so we could we could literally look at all of those modules and say, okay, which ones are using childprocess.exec? Oh, there's six hundred of them. We can we could actually audit with humans every single instance of those, right? Um, but as that as that as uh, scale, uh, you know, we've got that nice curve up into the right, uh, and we're you know growing ex extremely fast. We we can't we have to automate that, and and the problem is is that static analysis in JavaScript is really hard, um, and so it's not impossible, but it's really hard. So you but so you really need humans to validate um, 
validate the results of the machine, right? The machine finds the hotspot, uh, and then you put that into a queue for, for humans to look at. Um, that's a really efficient way of doing it. Um, we, we kind of shied away from that early on because we didn't want sort of like, are we, are we just giving, you know, O days out there for people and, you know, are they going to, are they going to contribute? Or are they not? And that was sort of, uh, an interesting, uh, challenge that we had with, with, uh, with the project, but, uh, it's still a really good method. Um, but full automation, I don't think is, um, is it's not going to be easy. Let's just say that. That does make a lot of sense, especially given that uh, JavaScript is very dynamic, so it would be quite difficult. Yeah, that's a really good point. Thanks. Do we need more TypeScript in our life? <laughs> Another bag of can it work? I I I actually haven't spent a lot of time using using TypeScript. I like uh, I like anything that brings a little bit of safety in. Uh, although I do like the just I can do whatever I want mentality too. So, you know, the, the, the developer in me wants to say, well, yeah, just let me do whatever I want. But the security person in me says, yeah, strong types are probably nice. Um, so uh, panelist Nick Nisi in the chat and also in our idea uh, document, he's he, I, would, I would call him a closet uh, TypeScript fan, but he's not in the closet. He's out of the closet. He's a big TypeScript fan, and he's trying to have a show called TS Party. Not a whole new podcast, but an episode of JS Party called TS Party. And so if you think that's a good idea out there in listener land, let us know. If you think it's a terrible idea, let Nick know, and we can uh, pass on that one. This episode is brought to you by the O'Reilly Fluent Conference. Make your plans now to attend Fluent in San Jose, California, June 11th through June 14th to learn the latest JavaScript tools and methods. Be part of what past attendees call, quote, a great center for modern web development and disruption, and quote, the best place to see the current state of the web. Use the discount code JSParty to save 20% on most passes. Learn how to build a better web with better user experiences at O'Reilly Fluent Conference. Head to fluentconf.com to learn more and register. Okay, let's talk about like the super fresh and new. We have Note 10, which just released. We have NPM 6, which I think was April 24th, which is two days ago. So this stuff is fresh. And uh, Adam, some of you and your team's work with the Node Security Platform is, is starting to make its way into NPM. Can you talk about uh, NPM Audit and the other security-related features that have been announced? Yeah, as you can kind of uh, expect with the acquisition of the Node Security Platform, uh, we're kind of you know wedging wedging that work uh, into npm, uh, and and that'll that'll make its way out as npm audit. And uh, the current you know current speculation is that we're going to uh, you know it's going to be very similar to what NSP was, uh, which was you know you ran uh, NSP on your project and it gives you, it gives you sort of that, that analysis of, of any of your dependencies deep down in the tree. Do they have a vulnerability or not? Uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let the cat out of the bag quite yet, but we've added a, we've added a twist to that. So we're going to go a little bit deeper, uh, than what we are doing with NSP. Uh, and hopefully, uh, it's a better experience. Um, can so you give us a peek uh, at the cat? Can you open the bag up and just let us look at the cat for we, a second? Cool. We're, <laughs> gonna, we're gonna we're gonna make uh, yeah Schrodinger's uh, NPM audit right. We're gonna peek in. Uh, 
and we are going to see uh, more actionable uh, security alerts. Things that are things that are more actionable for for developers being able to uh, instead of just being handed up a, a pile of things that you really may not know how to handle, uh, we're going to give you a little bit better guidance on that. So. So as of right now, if I'm on NPM 6 and I type NPM audit, what exactly happens? Right now, you're going to get an error message that the registry doesn't support NPM audit. Uh, but <laughs> okay, that's because uh, NPM 6, uh, we're getting the client out uh, in preparation to ship with Node 10, uh, which didn't, uh, didn't uh, happen. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, so right now, right now you get that message that says it doesn't submit, uh, it doesn't doesn't currently support it, but after we get the uh, the backend piece out of beta, uh, we'll uh, you'll uh, you, you run npm audit basically on any any project that's got uh, you know package JSON and a package lock, and it's gonna uh, it's gonna do that analysis. So it's gonna submit that uh, back to us. Uh, you know we'll run down through the tree doing doing some analysis and then uh, give you a result. Uh, we had an interesting question: Will registry mirrors be able to to get the same audit features? Uh, we're gonna have documentation on the API, so likely, uh, you know, they'll be able to take that bundle um, and uh, and do interesting things with it. it. Doesn't have to necessarily be a security audit. Hmm. And would you recommend that um, folks put this into their continuous integration uh, system that they've set up? Yeah, I mean, CI is going to be the best place to put this. Um, you know, if uh, uh, you you know run an npm audit um, if you know it, it it's going to happen also so you also get when you run npm install you're also going to get a summary of of what might be lurking down in the dependency tree so you'll get a summary that says we found you know 254 vulnerabilities you know this many high this many low we analyzed you know 12,000 dependencies or whatever right you get that little summary um, when you npm install uh, and so uh, then during your, you know, your CI process, you'd see that, um, and then during npm audit, we could just have it, uh, you know, exit code one and a failure, failure build um, would be a would be something to do. Um, what I want it to be though is a is a good experience for developers, so that you know, as they're npm installing something, they know it's got a known vulnerability, uh, or as they run npm audit, we want to keep those things out of the project, right? We keep things updated. So, uh, CI is a great place for it. Uh, definitely going to support that tooling, and, and it's a natural place to have it. That's the majority of where NSP got uh, put in, so I suspect we'll see that pattern uh, quite a bit. Very cool. So let's say that I'm uh, NPM audit is live, and I'm using it, and I'm enjoying its output. What what are um, actionable like mitigation steps, or how actionable do you think that mitigation will be when we find Specifically, like transitive dependencies that are issues. Is it just don't upgrade, or is it, you know, remove a dependency? What are the kind of things that it will allow us to change to be able to like take hold of our security with our dependencies in mind? Yeah. Well, what's nice is, um, you know, if you do have a package lock, right, and we know we know about, um, uh, you know, a dependency deep down in the tree. Uh, you know, we can tell you what dependency to update to what version, and you know, we know the number of ranges that that the you know the contracts that that those uh, dependencies have, so we'll be able to you know say you know update this this dependency deep down in the tree, um, and, it, and it won't break the Simver contract. Uh, of course, sometimes we have we don't have that 
you just don't have a version that you can update to or or there's no fix out. And so in those cases, um, you have uh, you you do end up having to do uh, a manual review yourself. And so, uh, you know, being able to uh, have good uh, recommendations uh, on those security advisories, uh, you know, sort of being able to understand what the impact is to you. Um, you know, if it's topple dependency, obviously that's easy for you to take action on, but if it's a transitive dependency, um, you know, some low level uh, dependency that you, you may, uh, you may not have, um, uh, the ability to, to update that. Uh, and that is a, a, a source of friction and, and, and a, something that we want to, that we want to work on eliminating. That's really, you know, pull requests and, and, uh, you know, getting dependence of packages to update as, Security vulnerabilities are published, so uh, there'll be some work in that space as well. Yeah, I've I've experienced the, that particular problem before, um, where a you know a, a transitive dependency has some terrible problem. I mean, not necessarily a security problem, but um, you know, and the, there needs to be a chain of PRs happening to 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 get that fixed. Basically, and so I mean, I've, I've just kind of wondered how how could NPM support or or you know basically allow uh, me as the you know package owner to go in and and basically fix some deep dependency and and and, and have it stick. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess I'm curious about how how you might tackle that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we've got complete answers for that. Um, I mean, that's kind of a, a, a management, uh, you know, problem. I think we can uh, do so with good, uh, you know, good tooling to let uh, authors know or, or publishers know when they when they have something that's got an issue. Um, and and because we have that graph, right? We have the dependency graph. We we know the uh, we know which places we have to push on. Um, and which, as an example, which if, if we updated this package, this version uh, to support a certain dependency, we know the impact it has on that dependency graph. Uh, so we'll be able to focus those efforts a bit, uh, which is nice. Um, I don't, you know, NPM audit is not is not going to naturally so, uh, solve that problem. Um, you know what what it's intended to do is is to uh, for you to understand that that dependency tree uh, as a developer to be able to take action where you can take action and, uh, you know, make security uh, top of mind, uh, for developers as well. Um, you know, we, uh, we have what, 10 million users and making, uh, making this, uh, security something that's, you know, top of mind to developers is going to raise, you know, raise the floor for everyone. Uh, when, when people start becoming aware of these things, uh, you know, education will happen. Um, I suspect that you'll, you'll, you'll see some, some movement, um, just naturally in the community when when these things start becoming transparent. I think this kind of gets into a, another question I had a bit about um, tooling. And so, um, you know, you, you want MTM audit to be able to tell somebody that this this dependency in, in that they have is has this problem, and, and if if there's a way to mitigate that and show you how or whatever. Um, but there's other tools right now. Um, 
And, you know, I, I've kind of struggled a bit, like, which one do I use? So there's, like, Sneak, there's uh, NSP, uh, there's, you know, Lyft or not anymore. There's um, NodeSource has these certified packages. And I think even GitHub is doing some dependency analysis. It's, so it's like, which of these things do I use? Like, do they all keep their own database, which is most accurate? What's better for open source? All, all these kinds of questions. Because I feel like a lot of people are trying to... To solve this problem, and I, I just you know it's kind of confusing to me. Yeah, I mean that's you, you make a good point. There's lots of there's lots of options out there, and, and you know one of the one of the reasons when I, so when I started NSP, uh, my the, the first comment after we built kind of the prototype was this belongs inside of npm, and there's a reason for that. It's because that's that's the tooling that developers are using every day. They, they have to change no habits to become aware of uh, security issues within their dependency trees. Um, and that's why it's a good fit. Um, so, so anything that can be seamless where you, you and your team doesn't, you don't have to spend uh, time and energy on, on socializing new tooling or, or integrating something, um, that's, that's a win for me. I would tend to agree that NPM is the is the spot for tooling like, like the best place for reasons that you said um, for this particular thing. Anything else in addition to or expansions on NPM audit, uh, you know, things in development coming down the pipeline, tools that are security focused that people can look forward to? Well, we've had a few other announcements. I mean, we do, we obviously do have uh, a lot more plans. There's a lot of work going on behind the scenes that, uh, uh, you know, we really don't talk about, right? Like um, improving the, the, application security practices within NPM and the infrastructure and all those things because because now NPM has an actual security team uh, inside the company, which is fantastic. Things that we were doing externally audits, uh, we're now, uh, you know, we're now doing doing them internally. So that's that's one sort of thing that's going on. Um, uh, but we also, uh, CJ just announced, uh, I think this last week, uh, we're going to start signing packages. Uh, so we're going to be, uh, you know, PGP and PGP signing uh, packages. So NPM is going to assert that, uh, uh, and you'll be able to verify that the package you received uh, is, you know, is the package that that you should have received. Um, and going beyond just, uh, you know, SHA hashing, uh, which is good because that also protects users that are using alternative uh, clients uh, like Yarn, right? So. Mm -hmm. Uh, if, if you're using yarn and you're getting, you know, you're, you're proxied through, uh, you know, the yarn package uh, domain, uh, you know, they technically control the tarballs and the, the, the hashes while, you know, they, they're just a, a proxy. Um, they could do more. And so we want, we want users to be able to assert that the package you got from the registry is from the registry. Of course, this work will continue to hopefully allow additional signing in the future, but uh, that's another, that's another piece that's coming. It's uh, really interesting. Uh, Tierney asks about any plans for publisher signing, um, and uh, I, the, there's there's plans. The discussion has happened, right? It's been happening for many many years, and I think these are the first steps to to getting to that point. So, getting back to NPM audit, I'm going to represent K Ball's question in the chat. He asks if there's any distinction between um, the, the quote these packages do not have known issues, but have not been thoroughly reviewed versus these packages mm -hmm. have been thoroughly audited. So trying to drill down that, if I run NPM audit, how confident can I be about the actual security? 
So you, yes, it, it brings up a very good point, right? Just because it doesn't have any, uh, it doesn't have any problems doesn't mean that somebody's actually looked for it. Um, so right now that's a problem across basically, basically all tooling. Um, you know, unless you have somebody, uh, auditing those packages, uh, you have no, you have no confidence. Uh, the Lyft team does auditing of the top hundred, uh, modules for the NPM enterprise offering. So we do some, you know, uh, some thorough auditing of, of those packages and keep an eye on those. Um, but there, uh, there isn't, uh, there isn't a good, uh, indicator for, thoroughly audited. Right. And this is a challenge that we had early on. Like I, I at one point could tell you that, uh, that, uh, uh, there, Christopher, there is not a list of those NPM packages someplace. Uh, I could probably dig that up though. Um, at, at one point I could tell you that we audited every 12,000 of those modules early on for child process out exec. So I could tell you that we audited those for one thing. And so, uh, even then there's going to be blind spots. So, uh, I think the goal being is to, um, you know, figure out how to incentivize, uh, those, those audit, uh, individuals to audit things, uh, and then to figure out how to capture those efforts. Uh, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, and it's something that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to, to as a challenge. Um, but, uh, there's no tooling that, that really gives you that confidence level yet. Um, and that's uh, for me. That's frustrating. Uh, I know it can be frustrating, um, but we're going to expose all of the signals that we do have. So, and then uh, right now we have the database, right? And and I know there's some d differences in those databases. Um, right now we maintain our database, which is um, which was at one time, uh, you know, point in time uh, donated to the the Node Security or excuse me, the Node uh, JS Foundation, which sort of kindled and, and started up the node security working group. Uh, so they are, they're maintaining, um, you know, kind of ecosystem reports right now. And, and so we, we do ingest some of that as well as we have internal research, um, that goes into our, our data set as well. So I consume a lot of, uh, packages that have native modules. Uh, and I'm wondering whether or not you've had a strategy for those packages or if that's going to change going forward, given that we have things like WebAssembly um, growing in popularity as well? Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, topic. Uh, and you have a whole different class of, of vulnerabilities you have to worry about, right? Where overflows and uh, things like that matter, right? Um, parsing becomes a lot more difficult. You don't have the, the uh, you know, memory safety that you do. Uh, so, the strategy has been, and John Lamondola, one of the Lyft team members uh, now at NPM, uh, built up a framework for fuzzing native modules. Uh, and we actually ran a class on it, uh, and that content is out there someplace, um, where uh, using a, a fuzzer like uh, uh, AFL uh, to, you know, write test harnesses for a module and then, and then run, you know, just thousands of hours of CPU over those, you know, getting, getting, you know, good, good coverage over all the logical conditions and, and throwing garbage input into it. Right. Um, that's the strategy there. If, uh, if you're writing native modules, you should be fuzzing them. Um, you know, obviously your, your regular test cases, but, um, you know, he's, he ran thousands of hours over, you know, nodes, HTTP parser, uh, and, you know, 
a lot of the more popular modules found, uh, you know, interesting exploitable modules for, th for like BSON parsing modules. And, uh, you know, I found some crashes for like node SAS and things like that. But oftentimes you also have to remember this is, and this is the interesting sort of edge case or the, or like sharp edge for, for modules is that just because there is a bug and just because, um, uh, you know, we can find it, uh, doesn't mean that it's that it's either a exploitable uh, and and be exploitable in the use case for that module. So you might say, well, I've got a, I've got an exploit uh, a bug that denials does a denial service for Node SAS. Well, how likely are you going to take user input on the server side and put it into Node SAS, right? Like usually that's a build time operation. So so that's a, a that's always a consideration when looking at the the security of your dependencies as well. Is uh, it, do we reach that condition, right? Anyway, that's a little long-winded answer for native native stuff. No, that's a super interesting insight. Thanks. Check out uh, uh, check out uh, American uh, AFL is the fuzzer uh, for for anyone doing native stuff. Uh, yeah, I think you bring up a good point about the context in which a module is used. For, uh, like, for example, my project um, is a is a test framework and. Certainly, you're probably not going to expose that somehow to the greater internet. And so, um, if you know, I haven't had you know a, a security problem discovered um, in in Mocha, but there have been security problems in dependencies of dependencies, right? And then it, it's like, well, how important is this really? Um, you know, people are going to want me to fix it or whatever but yeah you know, it's like yeah it's a dd os or we but but uh, it's not reachable right right, right. And it's but it's not just you know that particular module with the problem but it's whatever module depends on that module might be in a different context you know it, it's that's kind of it's kind of a tough call um, and, and all you can really do is, is report that, okay, well, there, this thing has a problem. I suppose that, um, you know, it, it might even be a, a severe problem, but for, for a, a, a module that, um, uses that, that one with the, the issue, you know, it, it might not be such a big deal. Context does matter. Like you said, it, it, it matters a lot. And unfortunately static, like I said, static analysis is, uh, with, with JavaScript is extremely difficult. So, uh, it, but it's not impossible. So, getting getting better signals um, is uh, is going to be an important part of feature tooling uh, for that. And uh, uh, it's also something though um, we're we're very conscious of, right? We we fought that uh, that was uh, uh, you know a, a common complaint, right? It was like, well. Uh, this is something that's used at build time, um, but at the same time, right? So, so developers also do ridiculous things with software, and so you might say, well, the common case, you know, for Mocha is it's, it's being used in this in this case, where you know, some developer might stand up uh, a thing where you can, you know, plug in some stuff on a web page and run Mocha server side, right? Uh, it's it's possible. So, um, and if it's possible. Likely somebody will do it, but always that—that's—that's that's your individual threat model, right? So, um, you know, for dependencies, just my, my general rule of thumb is keep things updated. Like it, it can't hurt, right? Um, it is a—it is a maintenance burden, um, but uh, 
it's also like we've got good language to say, well, uh, you know, okay, yes, you found this vulnerability. Yes, it's deep down in the dependency tree. It is not reachable. Um, and uh, that's something that we'll be working on uh, enabling developers to sort of signal those things within their packages so that uh, um, can say, well, we looked at it. It's not a threat. And you don't have to answer that 25 times to, you know, <laughs> you know, or 100 times to, to the community, right? Yeah. We're definitely aware of that uh, and, and, and we'll be, uh, uh, we'll be hopefully helping to address that. Hey everyone, I'm Tim Smith, senior producer here at Changelog. You know how important it is to stay in the know and our weekly newsletter helps you and thousands of other developers do exactly that. It's the developer news that matters, nothing more and nothing less. Visit changelog.com and subscribe today. We're going to switch things up a little bit. We've had a blast talking to Adam about Node and security and NPM and all these things. But as he said, there's a lot that's like on the cusp of happening. NPM audit doesn't quite work yet. It's going to be there. We're going to have Adam back on a regular basis to talk about these things, ask our, answer our security questions, tell us what's new in Node. Uh, for now, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about wishful thinking. So the idea for this segment is uh, we're to share and discuss projects that we've always wanted to start but have never had the time or never had the inclination to get off the ground. Crazy ideas, big ideas, whatever they are. And it could be something that we hope a listener takes on and builds. If so, you know, say that. Or it could be something that you still plan on creating. In that case, be aware that you are sharing it with a bunch of strangers. So maybe you should move fast because <laughs> somebody else might like your idea as well. But let's see. Let's see what we've been thinking of. Susan, let's start with you. You have any projects that you haven't quite got around to? Yeah, this is going to be a weird one, but I think that that's almost expected of me sometimes. <laughs> um, so th this is going to be like a hardware-related one, of course. Um, but what I've wanted to do for a long time is to design like a quite a small little circuit board that has a microcontroller on it and a little OLED screen or something like that, and then produce, you know. A, a large amount of them. So let's say like 20 to 30 of them, arrange them all on a one wall and then mesh connect them either with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or something like that. And then just let them talk to each other and just create this continually evolving um, piece of software that allows them to all, yeah, like react to each other and, and, and show different things on the screen as a result of that. So this is going to be very expensive and take a lot of time and exploration. So I've just haven't been able to sit down to do it yet. It sounds really cool. Are you actually going to pull it <laughs> off or are you, are you putting it out there and hoping someone else does it and you can just look at their results? Or are you going to do this? I think it's just going to be so highly individual what someone writes. So what I would actually love to do is to design the PCB and and make that be the open source part of it so that other people can then go and do that and then write their own software for it. So I'd rather that people were able to use that as a building block to then do their own, uh, if that makes sense. Because I think there's so many cool different interpretations you could do of this. Have you done PCB design before? Yeah, yeah. So I've done a few sucker bots and they've mostly been artistic ones. So I, I have a, a profile on uh, 
Oshpark that I can actually share, but I've designed like a Met card shaped one from the MTA system in New York. And I've also uh, designed one that looks like an anglerfish whose lure lights up when you hold a magnet near it. So I sort of want to take this to the next level and create a bunch that can actually like talk to each other rather than just one off PCBs. Would they take like environment input too or? Yes. So they would essentially have a bunch of pinouts that you could just plug different sensors or different outputs into. So they would be extensible ideally. Could you somehow plug them into your body and have it gauge your mood or your, your temperature and it could be like a big mood ring kind <laughs> of a thing. You might want to talk to Scott Hanselman about that because he's he's done some really cool work um, to do with his own body and, and measuring levels of things as well. I've got some friends with NF, like the little uh, chips in their hands, you know, NFC or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rachel White, um, one of the hosts, actually has one in her hand. Yeah, bring it back to security. I've, I've heard people complain about the security aspects of those, and I'm like, it's a convenience feature. That's what it is, but super fun. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Suze, uh, if somebody is interested in participating with you or building this thing, what's the best way to hit you up and, and talk to you more about this project? Oh, you can just tweet at me, honestly. that's I don't communicate by text message and very rarely by email, so Twitter is definitely the best way. Okay. No op cat on Twitter. Hit her up and yeah. let Suze know if you want to uh, participate in that project. Cool. Let's uh, kick it over to Chris. Chris, my friend, what do you have? What do you have? What do you not have that you wish you had out there mm. in the software world? Well, um, yeah, so I've been, I mean, the, like unfinished projects is just like, I, I leave a trail of unfinished projects, but, um, like I, I've been playing video games quite a bit in the past six months or so. Um, just kind of got back into PC gaming after, um, actually I don't know, maybe about four years of not really playing things much and, and kind of discovered I really enjoyed um, roguelike games. And I uh, I got this like bug and I just I want to make a video game so bad. And uh, I, I don't I don't know where I'm going to find time. I mean, I got, you know, a. a a baby and a six-year-old and you know all these mm. these things and so i i'm not gonna have time to make a game but i would love to i mean i i'd want to uh i mean i started looking at at frameworks i was like okay well what can i can i make a reasonable game in javascript and it's like eh. i mean html5 games i i don't even know who plays those or where they go or anything um I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I, I mean, uh, I started looking at at um, tools like um, Game Maker and, and and Unity and stuff, and um, I don't know. It's I, I just I just want to go through the tutorials, and maybe that'll just satisfy me. But uh, yeah, I want to make a, a roguelike with with like I don't know stealth elements or something like that. Mm. That would be a ton of fun. One way you might be able to find more time is to get your six-year-old involved, and then you're not stealing time; you're making time together. You ever consider yeah, that? I, yeah, actually, no. I mean, that's a great idea. I mean, the the biggest difficulty in in that for me, I think, would be um, art. You know, assets. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Uh, and if if my daughter could just draw stuff for me and That'd I could awesome. scan it and put it into the game. Oh, I mean, how she would love that. How cool would that yeah. be? She gets to draw something yeah. and all of a sudden it's part of a video game. Yeah. It would also, yeah, it would also be, I think, maybe very endearing like to the players. They're not endearing, but you know what I'm saying? Like, That'd be cool to be like, yeah, this is all drawn by, uh, by a young girl, and then her dad puts it into play. I think that would be yeah. super cool. It, it would definitely be a unique game, a very unique uh, yeah. appearance. I haven't seen anything quite like that. But then again, I, I, I have stuck mostly to games on Steam and haven't really got into uh, uh, what indie developers are making. So I'm sure somebody's tried something like that. But that's that's a really good idea. Cool. Let's uh let's pass it over to Adam. Got any wishful thinkings out there? I when you ask the question, I I have the I have this weirdest project that I've wanted to do that I've never it's just more of an experiment to see if it's if it's possible and how hard it would be. Um so I really like the I really like side channel like attacks, side channel, like where you have a, a, you know, an effect of, of temperature or timing or, you know, all kinds of weird things like that where like you can measure things. And so I've always wanted to know, like, um, basically I wanted to build an interface where, you, where it has you type a sentence. Uh, and as you're typing a sentence, uh, you try to type another sentence using, um, Morse code. So the timing between characters, uh, would be the signal for the other sentence so basically like you know as you're as you're typing the cadence between the first letter and the second letter is either a dot or a dash um which which would which would basically type the other thing it would more more of like a game or a, a challenge right like i always thought that would be fun to build just like a you know it wouldn't be that difficult i don't think but um i think it'd be challenging to actually do right having to first learn Morse code and then second being able to type uh at a cadence like that would be mm-hmm. I don't know. It was it was a ridiculous uh, thing I thought of one time and never ever built it. <laughs> I learned enough Morse code to save myself in case uh, my ship went down when I was a kid, which was SOS. Which the nice thing about that right. is you only really need two letters. You don't even need three. <laughs> right. But but uh, I've since forgotten it. So if if I'm in a sinking boat, I'm not going to be of much use. But I mean, who is? That's asking yeah. a lot, right? <laughs> Jared, you're not of much use in the sinking boat. It's like, I'm sorry, guys. I used to know SOS. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting one. Seems like that could be kind of a weekend hack. I mean, it's yeah. not like a make a video game style scope. So I feel like you could pull that one together uh, if, yeah. if, if you ever got around to it. So very good. That's definitely right in the wheelhouse of the stuff that we're talking about. I, yeah, I don't I have free time. Yeah, exactly. I'll go last here. Um, most of my stuff that I don't build but I want to build is changelog related because uh, I have part-time uh, changelogger here, so we don't have full-time uh, bandwidth. So there's lots of stuff that I would love to build and haven't got around to. And uh, one of those things is very low priority because I don't even own an Alexa or any of the devices that Alexa uh, habitates, inhabits, I believe is the word I was looking for. But I thought it'd be cool to have an Alexa skill, like, hey, changelog, play the latest JS party, that kind of a thing. And I hear it's really easy to do, and I'm sure it is, and I've never done it. Um, part of what slowed me down is I started thinking, well, all we need is a little API, which is pretty easy, or I could do a GraphQL API, which would be a lot cooler. And then I'm like, okay, so now first got to build a GraphQL API, 
And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I should do it during our Monday afternoon live streams because that's very much a experimental live stream time of a thing. And then I was like, well, that means I only get about two hours a week to work on this. And so I'm basically just like shoved a whole bunch of work in front of that work. So I thought it'd be cool to just make the API publicly available and then uh, have one of our listeners perhaps contribute some open source. But that's why I haven't done it. Eventually, eventually, we'll so have an Alexa skill. I, I think Alexa actually uh, integrates with some service that pulls podcasts. And, you know, you may be able to say, Alexa, you know, play the latest episode of JS Party. And she, she will be like, yes, here it is. Um, I Back when I first looked at it, those really sucked. And there was like a bunch of language in between you and actually playing it. But mm. I'm sure it may have gotten better. Yeah, if we can just submit our feeds into an index, I could have this done by the end of the show. Yeah, so I can't be... remember what service <laughs> is is used under the under the hood. Um, anyway, but yeah. But I think I would also be more motivated if I actually owned uh, an Alexa device, which I don't. So I don't really like that would probably push me over the edge because I'd be like, now I want to actually play with this thing. But I haven't gotten one, so no dice. So that's it for me. Um, great show, everybody. Yeah, any last words, parting words, Adam? Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We're excited that you're being so gracious to come back on a somewhat regular basis and keep us updated. Yeah, this, this was exciting. This is fun. I love talking about security, and I love uh, hearing the perspectives of other developers. Questions, The questions from the community were great, so this is fun. All right, that is a wrap, folks. This party is over. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. We will see you next week. Say bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. All right, thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor, share this show with a friend, read us an Apple podcast, go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. It's been a while since I've done this, since we quit doing double unders very frequently. But here's how it will work. We're going to count up one through four at like a, just a very basic cadence. Like one, two, three, four. I will say one. Adam, you will say two. Suze, you will say three. And Chris, you will say four. And then we'll synchronize. We'll use those in post to synchronize them up. Everybody ready? No, wait. What do, what do you need me to do? <laughs> <laughs>